0: Can you give God a great big praise? Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. This is a great crowd here tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 6. Come rereading verse 14 through 18. If you have your Bibles or your app or whatever you're reading it from tonight, if you would please stand for the reading of the word. The word of the Lord says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I'm going to ask Sister Rhonda Burden if you would pray over tonight's message. Amen. You may be seated. I've got a very challenging message tonight. It's one the Lord has laid on my heart. As a matter of fact, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I love Pastor Randy. And then I want you to follow it up with, I'm still going to love him when he's done. Amen. You helped me out a whole lot right there. I heard you. Well, I'm excited like most of you, what God's doing in the midst, and I have an expectation of more him to be revealed unto us. So tonight I want to speak on the importance of how we handle what is to come. My message is to the church. I'm talking about the church, which we are a part of the church, so it's to us as well there's a movement all over the world taking place to redesign the church. I believe there are things that need to change about the church, but like all change, all change is not always good. The concern is most change that is taking place is more aimed at the pleasing, the flesh, than more about discipleship or more emphasis of the things of the spirit. They're about convenience, trends, cultures, being user friendly wanting the church to look more like the world than a refuge for hurting and broken people and the concern is we can't build a stumbling ox because a stumbling ox can't carry the weight of this glory now i'm going to address that more as we get deeper in this tonight we can't be more concerned about appeasing flesh more than pursuing holiness we can't be a church built by a man for a man. Instead of a church built by God for God, there's a big difference. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. See, we've got church experts who are studying trends and are analyzing things. Yet to me, they appear negligent in their findings. Not discovering the church is becoming more like the world, never concluding there's more need of spiritual presence than of human convenience. So how are we going to handle what God's up to? We're at a place in time when it's good versus evil and the church can't be found on the fence straddling. We're at a very crucial time and it's time for the church, the believer to separate itself from any unclean thing as instructed by God's words, which is a now word. You must choose this day whom you're going to serve. You can't serve two masters. Now I come to you tonight humbled and I come to you hungry. I'm not here to talk about everything that I've been through and what God's doing in my life. I will only say he's transforming me. I'm telling you tonight, I'm more humble than I've ever been when I began to serve the Lord some 21 years ago. And one of the first scriptures that God placed in my heart was 1 Peter 5 and 6. Humble yourself unto the mighty hand of God so in due time I may exalt you. I remember it very well, he said to me as a babe in Christ, Randy, Be humble. Let this scripture not only govern you in your ministry, but it must govern you in your life. I'm no by means, no perfect, so I'm sure I've felt at times at that feat, but it's not because I haven't tried. And 21 years later, I feel more humble to be used by God than I've ever have been. And I take tonight getting this opportunity to speak God's word serious, and I count it an honor. Considering I know me, I know who I am. And God knows me, and he knows who I am. And the fact that he still wants to use me inside of me overwhelms me. And I'm hungry. The pastor was speaking last week, reminding me of our Acts 2 experience that we experienced in China last Sunday. He talked about when we went over there about 10 years ago. Simply reminded me and created a taste again for a genuine move of the Spirit. It's been too long for me not to be in the atmosphere conducive to ushering in the true manifested presence of God. When all it took over there was a spirit-filled peasant woman lacking charisma and no doctorate degree of theology who gathered with a host of God's servants who had suffered and sacrificed for the cause of Christ and who dared to believe wholly in the word of God. She stood, and she simply, for 15 minutes, talked about the eyes and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. And immediately, his presence was drawn to that room. It rolled in that room like a fog, and it saturated every single one of us. I was like the disciples at the Mount Transfiguration. I wanted to just put up a tent and dwell there. But instead, I was carried out. And I couldn't put together a sentence, barely three words at a time when I would try to respond to people, I was inebriated with this spirit. In church, I want more. I want more. I want more. And I'm crying out, pour it out, Lord. Pour it out like a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. And I know that in this room tonight, I'm not the only one that wants more when I know that there is more. And if I will press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, and if that I will consecrate myself more and allow God to purify me, and if I'll come out from amongst the world and separate myself and fulfill my commitment to God, I can have more. You see, we as a church, we're in a very critical place. How we handle what God is wanting to send our way. It's going to be crucial to whether or not we get more. You see, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above. He wants to deposit his glory. But we better learn how to handle his glory. If not, our flesh will kill the move of God. There has to be preparation of place and sanctification of man that has to take place for this atmosphere to be conducive of his holy presence. We have to come out of the worldliness. It's becoming a hindering factor. And I hear God saying, go call the church out. We have preachers and church experts studying cultures and trends, and they're trying to figure out the solution why folks won't come to church, and they're supplying statistics of studies of age groups and and of different genders, and in return, they're using them to create fads and programs and and building designs to attract folks, to accommodate them, making things user-friendly and denominationally more competitive churches in hopes of making their, them their decision in selecting a church in comparison to just simply of them selecting where to shop at. And they really just prefer and compete to have the already saved sanctified folks. Transfer transferred growth is only acceptable and it's more profitable to their interests. They have long blamed weirdos and strangers and addicts and adulterers for messing up churches. They're too costly, they require too much time and money that could be spent on paying off huge debts. Well now, those folks don't even come to church, are no longer even invited, and the church is just as messed up as it's ever been now. Who is it to blame? Don't ask that, now that's being judgmental if I do. And don't preach too hard, tone it down, just love and accept. We need a crowd to pay the mortgage. Well, I'm not gonna get much applause tonight on this stuff. Cause I already hear the opposition Randy you don't understand we're living a new day a new culture it's not like it used to be so it can't be like it used to be oh so you're telling me we have redefined holiness or are you saying holiness is outdated or perhaps holiness is impossible well it was asking too much nobody can live it God set the bar too high and you're telling me you have the authority to lower it? Was it asking too much of the Son of God, who knew no sin, no God who found his mouth, to leave the splendor of heaven, come to earth, be beaten and crucified, nailed to an old rugged cross and die for the sins of the world? Not his sins, but my sins and your sins. And the only way he was acceptable as a sacrifice was because he was holy. So let me just ask my quick opposition tonight what are you asking me to do as a preacher of the gospel are you asking me to go through and remove everything from the word of god that opposes humanistic thinking or is convicting to millennial lifestyles of sinful pleasures well i would be pulling pages out of it for days if so you're asking me to take and in, in hebrews 12 and 14 that declares Without holiness, no man shall see God. It's too stringent. Let's get rid of that one. Or are you asking me to say, take out Leviticus 18 and 22? You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. So you're saying to me, get rid of the Old Testament stuff that's not even relevant anymore. Just rip it out and throw it away. Well, what if I went to the New Testament? Are you still asking me to pull out Romans 12 and 1? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. That's too stringent a thing to ask anymore for. Just throw it away. Or are you asking me to reach into my Bible and you want me not to preach John 14 and 1? where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because Oprah has now determined there are many ways to God. If you don't want a message of righteousness, there won't be much left to preach except for what scratches your itch. You just want me to throw it away, but you'll take anything that I can say out of the Word of God as long as it Edifies you. You are neatly created by God. Oh, oops! I'm sorry, I missed one. You might want me to get rid of two. All Scripture is given for by inspiration of God, and is profitable for sound doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, what are you asking of me? sit back, tone it down, and watch people I love die and go to hell? To watch a form of godliness that has no power to transform? To allow us to build a stumbling ox? (sighs) Though I refuse to not preach one word of his truth because I have committed my life to preach the gospel in season, out of season. In other words, when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it, I'm going to preach it hallelujah let me speak to the culture of this age for a moment you won't like it but some of the best medicine tastes the worst all of us don't want red green or purple hair a ring in our nose tattoos all over our bodies drinking socially smoking cigarettes All of us don't want to dress provocative while we're on stage singing Amazing Grace. Now, I'm not making a legalistic statement. You've not heard me utter a thing about going to hell if you do. But I will tell you what you are doing. If you do any of these things, those things are a stamp of worldliness. And when you do those things, you are expressing you have not been consecrated yet. You have not come out from amongst them yet. Because you see, to be consecrated means to devote, commit yourself to God, everything, including your body and your soul and your mind. It's when you do present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I like that word reasonable. It's reasonable not to do everything the world does. That brings a reproach to a Christian. That's why the world can't see a difference between the church and the world. You know the Bible says, "If I if I should sin, I have an advocate with the Father." It doesn't say I can. It doesn't say I should. But if I sin, see, I got car insurance, but I don't go wreck my car just because I have insurance. It's amazing where this is all led to. We have got believers who think they've got, got to. We got unbelievers who think they have to be perfect before they can get saved. But yet we got people saved You don't think you have to be all that good. Now, how many of you men, if you could get your hands on a baseball that Babe Ruth hit in 1935, out of the park, that marked the 714th home run, signed by him, wouldn't you love to have that thing in mint condition? Why, you would take that thing and you'd devote to keep it pure and authentic you'd probably put it in a glass case, separated from all the other stuff. You wouldn't let your kids take it outside and play ball with it, would you? You wouldn't let them take a marker and mark, mark all over it, would you? No, you'd keep it clean and you'd be d- devoted to preserving it. Why? Because if they did, it would, would be shortly lived that it would look like all the other baseballs in the world. And it wouldn't have the value it had anymore. And so should it be with your life. If you consecrate it, devote it, and commit it to God. Let me remind you, there is a difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning. If an unbeliever sins, he's a sinner. But if a believer sins, he's a transgressor. In other words, he knows not to live like that. The unbeliever who is committed to the worldliness. Jesus said for him to know it to do good and not do it, it's sin. Jesus says for a believer that practices sin, it would have been better to not know me than have known me and turned from me. I'm here to tell you all of us don't want earrings in our ears. And all of our ladies don't want to dress like Tony Braxton. Because there is still a remnant And I also will tell you there is coming a generation that once again will believe in holiness. That wants to be clean and not unclean. That there is a nauseated generation who is sick of worldliness. And there is a war that's going to take place in the church. That I declare is going to split the church. You know what the war is? It's righteousness versus a form of godliness. See, I ain't got no problem with a sinner walking in them church doors all messed up, stoned out of his mind, or gay. But I got a problem when people who claim to be Christians want to still get stoned, get drunk, and remain gay in the church. That's not the church. You're a hypocrite and a liar. and The truth ain't in you. Do you know what this generation of Christians want and don't want? They don't want another dead sermon. They don't want another warmed-over message or a SermonCentral.com thriller. You're out of touch. They want a word from God. They want a preacher to stand up and do spiritual warfare, to stand toe-to-toe with the spirit of this age and call sin, sin, and a liar, a liar to drive back the forces of evil that are destroying their families so as to create an atmosphere that's conducive to where God comes into the room to meet with them. I want to tell you something. God's presence is greater than of any president or king of any nation. The secret service will clear a room of any opposition or potential threats to the president's presence before he'll enter a room. And so will the Holy Spirit for our God, the King of Kings, so as the men of God, we've got to clear the room of evil opposition to to enforce so that His presence can come in. So, by the authority of God, I command every evil spirit, every distraction in this room. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. If we really want more of God, then righteousness has got to come back to the church, back to your closet, back to your TV guide, back to your social life. And it can't be bought or programmed in. It is an individual's responsibility to live right before God to everyone who claims to be a believer. I don't want to tell you, too many want to straddle the fence and just live as close to the world as they can. I see people all the time who claim to be a believer who claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost, then seeing their actions, I'm confused. I'm confused as to why their Holy Ghost hasn't convicted them that their dress is too short or their pants are too tight or what kind of Holy Ghost have you got that won't convict you that you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. That won't convict you and tell you you shouldn't be in that motel room with that man you're not married to yet. Come on, if I even think to do wrong, the Holy Ghost I serve says, oh, no, you don't. And if you do, you better get ready for the consequences. The Holy Ghost. The key word here is holy. The Holy Ghost don't compromise. He doesn't say, well, it'll be okay just this one time. You say, well, Randy, I believe, I know what you believe by your actions. Pastor, you're going to have a lot of mess to clean up here when I'm done. I better get to my sermon. <laughs> hey, if you didn't like my opening, you're probably not going to like the rest of it either. I'm going to take to 2 Samuel, starting with verse 6. This is when the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Jerusalem. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the Ark of the God. The Ark of God. Which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Benadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Benadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, systems, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God before the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took to the house of Obadiah, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. I'm going to need a little help here. Chuck, come on up here and help me out. Oh, Chuck's getting to be quite an actor here lately. Give him a hand. You wouldn't do it. Stand right there, Chuck. So the Bible said, David wanted the Ark of Covenant, also known to, to, be the, to house the glory of the Lord, to return to Israel. It had been 50 years. So he gathered 30,000 men to go get it from Benedad's house. They celebrate all the way there, and they're singing, they're dancing, they're excited because the glory was coming back. Kind of where we're at. It's not here yet. But it's exciting to know that God wants to bring it back. Upon arriving and reclaiming the ark, the men, the men decide, let's do something different here. Let's build a new cart. Then put it on an oxen and let it carry it back. It would be so much easier after all, Benadab's house on a hill and human reasoning prevailed. So they loaded up on the new cart and it begins to move, and the people begin to celebrate once again, singing, dancing, and shouting. Let's create that again for just a moment. I'm gonna ask John, you guys, go ahead and pray, play something right there. Go ahead and begin to play something. And I'm gonna ask you to stand. As you can clap your hands get excited the glory's coming it's coming back we're bringing the glory back to the house of the Lord aren't you excited man they was marching down that old road here comes the glory of the Lord it's coming back to the house they couldn't wait to get it home and they were celebrating clapping their hands the symbols were being stamped, anything they could find to make noise oh it's an exciting time then all of a sudden, the ox stumbles, and Uzzah is dead. So, how it happened like this killed the mover God. David was angry. It cost a man his life. The excitement was over. They were this close to the glory. What happened? David even cried out to the Lord in his anger. Even questioned, will I ever have the glory again? Is it even possible, O God, to have it? Look what's happened. To the point he didn't even want it anymore. He refused to take it back home. So the glory, instead of going to Israel, the ark goes to Obadem's house. What went wrong? Let's answer that question. You may be seated. It was, wasn't handled right. For the glory to turn is always going to require sacrifice. It's not going to be an easy thing. It takes a lot of preparation to bring the glory. And disobedience will always bring forth death. Why did it bring death to Uzzah? But yet when we read when it got to Obeden's house... The Lord blessed them. It was how it was handled. It wasn't handled right. And I've come to tell this church, with what God is fixing to do in our midst, we better handle it right. We better learn from David's mistakes. We're all excited. The glory is coming. The Bible declares in these last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. And what we're experiencing now is just a prelude So what was wrong with how they handled it? Well, let's start from the beginning. The first thing David did wrong was he chose men who God had not chosen to handle it. God had chosen priests to carry the ark. Men who were ordained by God, who had been anointed and called for the task. And we have that same problem today in our churches. We have churches putting people who aren't called or anointed or ordained in positions that God never called them to. And then we wonder why is there no power in the church? Why is there often chaos and confusion and strife in ministry? That's why we got worship leaders running off with piano players and we got hokey pokey going on in the praise teams and the choirs. Putting people in positions of leadership based upon politics and friendships and family ties or out of desperation who are not anointed or called. Are you hearing me? They can sing good. They can preach good. But some, they're not even saved nor sanctified or even filled with the Holy Ghost. And we wonder why God's not moving. I'll tell you why. He's not even in it because he isn't in him or her. There is no presence in them. They're just operating off natural gifts and talents and human ability. There's a lot of good singers and motivated speakers who stand on stages every week. Even in front of TV cameras. But they're not all anointed. I was told once I'd be shocked. At the amount of gospel songs that have been written by people who live gay lifestyles. The difference maker, folks, is the anointing. That's why we have men and women who rise and they fall. Because their own human ability can only carry them so far. Because no flesh shall glory in his presence. But then there's those with the anointing. It'll carry them through the good times and the bad times. You won't have to work things up. All you got to do is show up and God will show up. And let me tell you something about a degree on a wall. It only declares you have knowledge of, but it doesn't declare you are anointed. Pastors and teachers and preachers and evangelists are to be ordained by God. And just because you're the best thing in the room don't mean God chose you. So I've come to understand it's usually the least likely, as it was in David's case, that he chooses. The second thing they did, they put the ark on a new cart. That's where the church is at today. It's being driven by human reasoning and not by divine direction. God had already established how to handle the glory. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the priest, not on a cart. But that's the same problem today with the new cart, with the new church. Everything ought to be easier, more comfortable. Sacrifice should no longer be required. One service a week is enough. We're to compromise on this sin thing. Redefine doctrine to fit this culture. We have more man-made churches than we've got spirit-filled churches. And God's no longer the head of many churches. Man is. Or a nine-member board. Everybody's got a new idea of how church should be. User-friendly. More relevant. More casual. Less services. More programs. Less preaching. Casual environments. More emphasis on appeasing the flesh. Then they go and put it on a big, strong ox. Ox is big and it's strong, but it's also just an animal. That we come to find out could not handle the weight of the glory. You can't carry spiritual things on fleshly ideals. God wanted the glory to rest on the shoulders of the priests. Men who were ordained, appointed, and anointed by God to handle the weight of it. You see, the oxen didn't have in it what the men of God had in them. Well, the ox stumbles, and then Uzzah, a man who was never ordained for his position, touched the ark as it began to fall, and his fleshly act killed the move of God. Fleshly men can't handle the move of God. His flesh will always kill the move of God. David had went unprepared and in his flesh trying to handle the glory of God. And as a result, it never came to Israel. David no longer wanted it. God had, had David send it to where men, men were prepared to handle it, over to Obededum's house. And they received the blessings Israel should have received. And that's happening all over the world. If we are not prepared to handle it, God will send it to where people are prepared for it. That's why it's happening in China. They are making the necessary sacrifices, and they're willing to do it. Oh, well, are here. He represents the part of the church that isn't prepared or willing to prepare. You know, the part of the church they feel like praying and fasting isn't really all that important anymore. That being faithful to church attendance is not really that important. Being holy is not even possible. All that worship's not even necessary. The part of the church that's hindering the glory from coming. They want to operate in the flesh. Therefore, the glory goes to another house. So the church, being void of the Spirit, has to simulate the glory through emotional feelings and empty experiences. Come on up out of there, Chuck. You're resurrected. You'll be all right. <laughs> Give him a hand. So the church, being void of the Spirit, now has to simulate the glory through emotional feelings and empty experiences. Because the true genuine glory is prohibited by our fleshly desires. I'm here to tell you there is a genuine move of the spirit and we don't have to settle for anything less than. When Jesus spoke the word, the spirit obeyed and showed up as he had promised. When we say we're hungry for a mighty move of God, but the problem we're having nowadays, we're not willing to wait to receive it in our microwave society. And for many, we can't prioritize our lives where we can take time to pursue it. Can't find the time to make it to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. While the Spirit of God is hovering over churches all across the world looking for a place to deposit His glory. The problem, many of our churches are choosing to become simulated instead of genuine. The reason we can't have the genuine is because we want it without seeking and tarrying to get it. We want it without prayer and supplication. We want it without submitting our bodies as holy and acceptable to the Lord. We want it without preaching with the power of the Holy Ghost and with fire. And because we can't have a real move of God in our churches, we're doing everything in our churches just to simulate one. You know, the word simulate means made to look, feel, or behave like something. Made to look genuine. Make it appear to be real, though it's not. And churches are becoming like a flight simulator. You see, a flight simulator is to give a pilot an imitated experience of flying a plane without ever having an actual real experience of flying. It feels like you're flying. It appears to be real, but it's nothing more than an imitation. It's not a real experience. And this very thing is happening in the church. Too often, all there is, we're doing is simulating experiences with God but they're not real, and that's why there's no power in the church. It's not the real authentic move of the Holy Ghost and fire. We're just printing all that when we are nothing more than just brass tinkling in a wind. It looks real, the shouting, the dancing. appears to be real. You appear to have a black belt anointing. But we leave here to go home and wake up in the morning, and nothing has changed about us. Why? Because without the true, authentic fire of the Holy Ghost, nothing burned up last night. Nothing really changed about you. You never truly surrendered your life. We're just coming in here, simulating, living by feelings, feeling like we're having experience, but never truly having one. To put it bluntly, we become satisfied with pretending. You see, as children, in our infancy, we were always pretending, pretending to be a cowboy or a doctor or a princess or a nurse, why we would dress up to appear as one. But the truth was we were only pretending, but it was so much easier to be who we wanted to be, though, wasn't it? Well, I've come to tell you I can go down to the local military surplus store and I can buy me a soldier's uniform and I can wear it tomorrow, but that uniform alone don't make me a soldier. Because I haven't been through what it takes to make me a soldier. I haven't paid the price or made the sacrifices or went through the preparation. And so it is with a child of God. You can go buy all the bumper stickers you want. You can literally cover your car in them declaring that you're a Christian. You can get you a solid gold necklace with a beautiful cross dangling from it. Wear it every day around your neck. You can post a million scriptures on Facebook, but if you have not surrendered your life to the process of becoming a true disciple of Christ, you're nothing more than a great pretender of the faith, and the truth is not in you. We'll even invest our money in gadgets and modern technology to help simulate the experience. A true experience takes real fire, supernaturally produced by God. And any other cheap imitative version will never transform. It will only perform as though it was. And God is sick of simulating churches. Why? Because God is not mocked. God is real. Therefore, we can have real experiences, real transformation, and anointed results. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to be consumed by his all-consuming fire. But too often we just want to come here, throw our hands up say, move. And if the song leader just happens to pick the right song and stir our emotions tonight, and if it happens that you would get excited enough to dance, then I have experienced God. And we'll call it a great worship service. And the truth of the matter is we based it upon God touching us instead of us touching God. Based upon us receiving from God more so than us giving to God. But well, what if you spend the whole night singing and praising God, glorifying God with your voice, and you feel nothing, cannot that be worship? Or does it always have to be, unless you're touched, it wasn't a good service? I thought we were to worship him, not for him to worship us. Is your worship service more about what you get from God than about what you give to God? The glory and the honor that he deserves? Most people don't worship when there's not feeling nothing. But the problem is, come Monday, you're right back to where you were and nothing changed about you. I'm not talking about changing your circumstances as much as I'm talking about nothing changed in you. See, if you really experience God, you can't help but have a life-changing experience. Regardless of whether your circumstances change or not, preaching righteousness and holiness is no longer popular. Well, I don't care nothing about being popular. I just care about seeing people get saved. And make it to heaven. Demonic influence is getting stronger and stronger. And the Word of God says these days are all, these kind of things only go out by prayer and fasting. We're not to counsel demons, we're to cast them out. We are to come out from amongst them and be separated. Speaking of the unbelievers, we're not to be unequally yoked. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of having church as usual. I have tasted his glory. And I believe I'll never be satisfied with nothing less than. I'm tired of folks trying to reinvent the church. I'm all for new methods. Only if it contains the same message. I like coming in here every week, meeting with people I love. I like hearing people preach and teach and sing. But I want to know, when do I get to meet with you, God? I can see my friends on Friday night at the ball game or Tuesday night at the movies but I came here on this day, the Lord's day, though, God, to meet with you. And I don't want flesh to get in the way. I want an appointed, anointed worship, and I want anointed preaching that will clear this room of any opposition to make this atmosphere conducive to you, O oh God, appearing in our midst. I love my church family. I'm connected to the best church around. But right now, God, they've got to understand, I came to see you. I'll meet them after service. I don't want to just keep coming here week after week, seeing and hearing about you and leaving here and never seeing you or experiencing you. Too many are trying to build a new church with new ideals and new theologies with humanistic views and not sound doctrine. It was God who instituted and formed the church who laid the foundation for it, and he called it to be holy and separated. Well, three months later, when David heard what was going on at Eden's house, he wanted it back. He learned a valuable lesson about the glory and about God. You got to obey. He came to an understanding of what it takes to handle God's presence. He thought, I'm going to be prepared this time God had enlightened him. I'm going to do it his way. He says, I realize how valuable it is. I know now how much is required, but it's worth it all. He realized, David did now, that it takes sacrifice. David believed he was not ready to, that now he was ready to be prepared. We know this by looking at how he handled it. This time I want to go to 1 Chronicles 15. It's a better description of how he handled the glory. Verse 1 and 2 says, he first built a place for the ark to rest. Then he told everyone, get prepared. Start with sanctifying yourself and have your families to sanctify themselves. See, now David's getting it right. David calls for the priest. He says to them in verse 12, sanctify yourself too, boys. Get ready to carry the glory. What was happening there? Preparation. Getting prepared to handle the glory. How many know how to handle the glory? That if we're going to handle, we have to be prepared. We have to first sanctify ourselves. He prepared as well. He wore a robe of fine linen. He prepared singers. He prepared musicians for praise and worship. He even prepared the doorkeepers. The first step, he prepared. Now let's go back to Samuel chapter 6. He was learning the glory comes through preparation and progression. That's how it comes, church. When he went and got it the second time, he prepared. And when he went and got it, when he brought it back, six steps and a sacrifice. Six steps and a sacrifice. And through progression, the glory came. He learned that through the preparation and progression, the ark, the glory could return. He learned that the glory of the Lord always required sacrifice. It required praise and worship. But what he learned greater than that, here's the third thing. Obedience. To handle the glory of God, it takes obedience. He learned that obedience is greater than sacrifice. This time he obeyed God and not man. And the ark, the glory turned to the city of David. That is the only way that the glory is ever going to come back to the church. The churches. When they're obedient and willing to sacrifice, willing to sanctify themselves, when they're willing to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, through preparation, sanctification, and progression, it will come back. So here came David and his army and the ark, the glory, marching into the city to a place David had prepared for the ark. David's dancing. The men and women are singing and they're shouting. The cymbals are banging the instruments are blaring. The city was lit up but wait a minute, this was happening earlier too, then all of a sudden, oh, but this time was different because of their obedience. The ark, the glory remained. Everything was in order. See, the glory can't move if things aren't in order. God's not the author of confusion, but let me point out one more thing just as I said earlier. Here's a sample of what happens and why you must be prepared to stand under the weight of the glory. Let me recall some things that come as a, that came as a result of the weight of glory. Opposition will come. Controversy will come. Envy will come. Misunderstandings will come. There will be people who hate success. Look what happens to David and how he was prepared though to handle it. David's dancing. He's shouting to the point he came out of his priestly garment because he was praising God with all his might and with all he had in him. And his wife, Michal, The daughter of Saul was standing in the window watching this king, her husband, lose control. How did she react? She despised him in her heart. She wasn't prepared to receive the glory. Just like I told you, get ready. When the glory comes, so does the opposition. She felt he disgraced himself. Criticism has killed a lot of moves of God. Those that aren't prepared won't be able to comprehend the emotions that move the children of God to praise him in all kinds of such ways that are mentioned. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery in the harp. Praise him in the timbre and the dance. Praise him with the string instrument and the organ. Praise him on the loud sins and praise him on the highest sound of sense. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Hey, if you can't sing, then shout. If you don't shout, then clap your hands. If you don't clap your hands, then raise your arms. If you don't raise your arms, then you might want to start crying. And if you can't cry, then stomp your foot. If you don't stop your foot, then make Maybe you want to start dancing. If you don't dance, just whistle. Just praise ye the Lord. I don't care how you do it. Just find a way to give God glory and do it with all of your might. She don't speak out at David immediately. That's a typical spectator. She waits till he's done. He comes home and she's at the front door and steps out in the yard. And, and does she ever unload? She felt he brought a reproach upon the kingship his father once held. How does David respond in verse 21? What I just did, you truly don't understand, Mikhail. What I did, I did unto the Lord. You see, Mikhail, when the glory of the Lord falls, it's when you shake off dignity. It's when you shake off pride. It's when you shake off self-righteousness and let them fall to the ground as I did. And I may be the king, but he's the king of kings. And what I just did is not gonna offend the maid service. Matter of fact, my brokenness, will exalt me in their eyes. And if you think what you just saw was offensive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because his presence, in his presence, is the fullness of joy, and I will praise him with all of my might forever and ever. He didn't lash back with angry revenge to quarrel. He just declared the glory of the Lord is more important than what man thinks. And to those who want to criticize, they better be careful. Because of her outburst and her criticism, God reproved her and made her barren. Five things God wants to teach us on how to handle the glory, that the way the glory is to be carried on the shoulders of men. Sacrifices will be required, Affliction will be the bridge from glory to glory. Preparation progression is how it comes. Sanctify yourself. And obedience is what it takes to cause the glory to move and remain. For the ark of the covenant to be placed anywhere, the place it would dwell had to be prepared. Have you prepared your heart? We don't want the glory to come, do we, church, and depart? 1 Samuel 4, verse 21. And she named the child Ichabod, saving the glory is apart from Israel, because the ark of God was taken. We must know how to handle it. And why is the glory so important? 1 Samuel 4, verse 5. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the glory, came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again you know why we need the glory back in the church because it's time for the church to ring again it's time for the church to come out from amongst the unclean things hear the word of the lord and prepare your hearts to receive i've come to tell you tonight is a night of preparation for the word of the lord said be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God; as God has said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate; set the Lord, and touch not the unclean. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. God is calling his church, wake up, prepare for the coming of the glory of the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, consecrate your flesh, repent, turn from your evil ways, so that the times of refreshing may come. I want my musicians to come. Church, We can't build a stumbling ox because when the ox, the church stumbles, man will stumble and die. We can't look like this big, strong church, but when the glory comes, we try to control it in our flesh or we'll be nothing but a stumbling ox. And it will kill the move of God. It'll be a church that can't handle the weight of the glory. We can't be like Uzzah and try to handle it with our flesh. We can't be like David and be disobedient. We must be led by the Spirit. We must come out from among the unbelievers. We must become separated from their ways. We must be willing to sanctify ourselves and be consecrated. Dedicating everything we have unto the Lord to preserve His presence. Would you stand with me? If you're saying tonight, I want more, I want more of you, God, then I'm asking you to come. Even to the point of laying yourself down prostrate before the Lord. and let God do a work in you that will prepare this body for the glory of the Lord. If that's you, I want more of you, God. I'm ready to come out from amongst my worldly influences. I'm going to separate myself, O oh Lord, from those worldly influences then I'm going to ask you to come and find a place to pray and let God consecrate you. I'm here to declare to you under the word of the Lord, God is calling his church to be ye holy for I am holy. There's not a one of us in this room that hasn't been affected by worldly influences. It's operating But I want to tell you something, as believers, we've got to become separated. We've got to come out from amongst those. We can't be unequally yoked with the world. We can't do this thing in the flesh. Don't you be the Uzzah of the church that doesn't think this is important right here, to come and ask God to consecrate you. To ask God to sanctify you. Don't be the other that when the glory comes, you think you can handle it. You could very well be the one who kills the move of the Lord. I'm asking this body as a body, if you would come. Spend some time with the Lord. Ask the Lord to search your heart. ask the Lord, are you prepared to receive the glory? To pray in your heart, I want more, God. I want more, Lord. Pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out. I'm going to tell you how this service is going to go and how this service is going to end. I'm going to ask them to begin to worship. If you're not praying, you ought to be worshiping. and I'm going to join those that are praying.